Hello everyone and welcome back to Reading with Grace. It is episode 23 of season 1 where we are continuing to read The Unwanted's Island of Silence. Today we will be picking up from chapter 62, but first a recap of chapters 57 through 61. Gunnar Luki tried to use the tube in his former home, but instead found Aaron who captured him and locked him in the closet. Alex, Megan, and the Silence were all in the gray shack. When Seen returned to Alex from fighting, he told Alex that Alex was their only hope in restoring Artime and leading its people. The battle between Artime and Quill was finally stopped by a truce due to many lives lost on both sides. Aaron made Haluki appoint Aaron to be the new associate high priest of Quill and have all the same power and rights as the actual high priest. Henry Haluki found Alex in the shack and told him his mother had died while Alex was trying to figure out how to tell Henry about Lonnie, who is still missing along with Sam Heed. Alex, Henry, Seen, and the Silent Girl then helped control the people of Artemy and Alliance for water, which Alex had found. Aaron gathered the people of Quill to inform them of his new status as Associate High Priest and told them if they could convince more unwanted to join Quill, he would reward them with extra food. That's the end of the summary. Enjoy the episode! 62. Alex's Message He couldn't think of a time when he'd been more nervous, except maybe at his purge. Now Alex stood before the tired faces of hundreds of despondent unwanteds, crammed into a small plot of cement and weeds, all the way down to the shoreline and spilling out into the gate into Quill. All of them, filled with respect for the land and the fallen leaders they once served, were loyal despite the dire circumstances. They waited, exhausted but patient, to hear a single word of hope that would help them get through the day and keep them from desperate measures, like looking for shelter in the place that once sentenced them to death. As the water was passed around, each artman took a few swallows, no more, without having to be told, everyone confident in their fellow unwanted to be reasonable. Scene Ranger put Alex aside and gave him the latest news, confirming that Miss Haluki had indeed died as Henry reported and that the rest of the injured have found secret respite in a sympathetic necessary's home on the outskirts of one of the quadrants. And then there's the high priest, Seen said. Aaron's got him captured, but we're not supposed to know that. Most of Quill doesn't know that. Aaron just had declared that Haluki appointed him as some associate high priest with equal power. Alex stared at Seen. You're not serious. I am. Alex stared thoughtfully at the gate, not really seeing it. Wow. I know. Well, Alex said, clearing his head, I guess he's really going after it. I'm pretty sure he'll go full speed ahead and do everything he can to keep us from existing then. He was surprised about how calm he felt about it. Maybe it could be chalked up to knowing where Aaron was and what he was doing that gave Alex a bit of serenity. How are you getting this information? Seen hesitated. I'd rather not say at this moment. Alex frowned. He got an uneasy feeling in the pit of his stomach again. Seen was up to something, as always, sneaking into Quill and not telling Megan what he was doing. But Alex didn't have time to worry about him right now. He remembered what Mr. Today once said about being honest, if you wish to prevail, so he looked Seen in the eye. Sometimes I wonder if I can trust you. Seen held his gaze. I swear you can trust me, Alex. I swear it on Megan's life. Alex regarded him for a long moment, and Seen's gaze didn't waver. Alex held out his hand and Seen took it, shaking it firmly. No further word was needed. With that, Alex turned to the crowd, stood on a chair that Henry had brought from inside, and requested silence by holding up his hands. They shook the slightest bit. 
Alex waited for the news to travel that he was about to speak, and without an amphitheater of magic of Artime to help his voice carry, he knew he'd have to take it slowly and speak as loudly as possible so everyone could hear. A wave of emotion rolled through him as he looked over the bruised and battered people. When it was quiet, he set his jaw and began. His voice didn't crack, he didn't break down, he just spoke from the heart like Mr. Today would have. "'Greetings, warriors,' he said. "'You're all so brave and loyal, just like our fearless leader Marcus today taught us all to be. "'And, well, just like he was until... the end. "'Let's all take a minute to remember the moment we first met him.' "'The Artemeans bowed their heads, remembering the day they'd been staved by the eccentric magician "'with that electric shock of white hair, who had come out of the gray shack to greet them "'and had said those fateful words. "'How does it feel to be eliminated?' Year after year, he did it the same way, always delighted beyond measure to save the lives of the creative and artistic, and not only to save them, but to make them, mold them into amazing people. He taught them to think and to live and to create, to fight for what they believed and stand up for their rights and not fear the unknown, to feel love and warmth and acceptance after being told so often, so much that they were useless trash, not even good enough to line the roadway of quill. Alex embraced the numbness he felt inside him, he was thankful for it for once, because it allowed him to do the job he had to do now. Friends, he said, breaking into the memories of hundreds of people. Mr. Today is gone, and so is our world. We don't have any other choice except to ask for one another's help now. He paused, scanning the crowd. We've lost members of our families at the hands of the people of Quill, and some of our residents are missing. We also can't forget our silent visitors, who, by chance or by fate or whatever, have joined us under some pretty weird circumstances, and we need to continue to treat them as family, despite our, um, momentary lack of lavish decor. A few in the crowd nodded, and Alex caught the eye of Mr. Appleblossom, who touched his fist to his heart and nodded encouragingly. That gave Alex a surge of confidence to go on. He repeated the act back to Mr. Appleblossom, finishing the nonverbal rhyming couplet. And then went on. Friends, my brother Aaron has taken control of Quill and has announced his position as associate high priest, supposedly working in tandem with high priest Saluki. Alex looked down, not wanting to see the skeptical looks from the crowd that he expected there to be. But then he looked up again, knowing he needed to stand strong. But I don't believe he'd ever work side by side with anyone as good as high priest Saluki. I admit it's hard to speak badly of my brother, but I have to. I can't think of any reason why I should protect him anymore. He chose his own way, and it's the opposite of everything I believe in. And now I'll repeat what you already know. Aaron has all this evil junk in his heart, and I know he won't stop his attacks until he can figure out how to take control of us. It would be his best day ever to finish what Justine thought she started with the purge. And unwanteds, Alex said, his voice growing louder. We can't let that happen. We've got to stick together so we can stay strong. He pointed at the shocking starkness of their land and said, this is what Mr. Today saw when he first dreamed of Artemis. Now we have to begin from scratch, just like Mr. Today did. From this plot of land, this little gray shack. Only, we're not alone. There are hundreds of us. We have each other, don't we? Surely we can hold together. Alex looked slowly at the silent crowd from the edge of the water to the wall at the gate beyond. Surely we can honor our leader by building up a bigger, stronger Artemis, something just as grand and wonderful as he could ever imagine. Alex had no idea how they'd do it, but he was determined to succeed or die trying. He knew he didn't have much time. The crowd murmured. Alex felt the ownership of Mr. Today's vision and of their beloved Artime emanating from the pores of the unwanted that surrounded him. What other choice did they have but to embrace this? For most of them, going back to Quill couldn't possibly be an option. 
Alex leaned forward on the chair, a most intense look on his face, fearing rejection but forging ahead. It was now or never. People of Artime? He shouted at the top of his voice, wanting everyone to hear him. Are you with me? With a rousing chorus of yeses greeted his ears, something surged inside him, giving him goosebumps. He repeated it, pumping his fist. People of Artime, are you with me? This time the shout rang out loud and clear, hundreds of voices as one. Alex grinned and waited for them to quiet down once again, and then he said earnestly, I really want to hear it from each one of you. When I'm done, I'll stay standing here, and I'm going to ask you, if you would, to come up here so we can look one another in the eye and agree to go along together on this. Despite how hard it's going to be, despite the fact that we don't have much, despite that we've lost our leader and our friends and we're scared to lose more. So, will you do this for me? Another thick wave of yeses greeted him in response. Okay. Alex blew out a breath of relief. That's great. Thank you. When you come by, I'll assign you a duty so that we can begin to take care of our most basic needs right away. Water, shelter, that kind of stuff. People of Artime, do you accept that challenge? Yes, came the reply. Each time they grew louder and louder. Alex paused and waited for the crowd to settle. He had one last important item to discuss. Finally, friends, he said, we need to talk about the gate. I've decided that despite the threat of attack from Quill, we need to leave our gate open for now. He paused, letting the words sink in. It was a really hard decision to make, but I have three reasons for making it. People remained quiet, straining to hear every word. One, because Miss Morning is missing, maybe even captured. But basically, we just don't know where she is. If she's able to escape, we want her to get in. Also, because of our injured, who are camping out in a home of a very generous necessary. She's hiding them and caring for them, along with our nurses. If we close the gate, we risk locking everyone out until we, um, I mean, until I can figure out how to restore our world. And I'm not willing to write off anybody who wants or needs to get back in here. Two, because we need water. And frankly, there's no other place to get it but Quill at the moment. People looked at another and nodded. And three, because someone, somewhere in Quill, has a key. And we don't want any one person in Quill to hold that kind of power over us. Alex looked at his people and said, Are we in agreement? This time, the agreement was quieter, but no less important. The truth was that the people of Artemis understood so much more than anyone about risk and safety, life and death, because of what they endured to this point. There was unity, mostly. Alex would soon find out if anyone stood against him. So far, everyone seemed willing to give Alex a chance. Excellent, Alex said, trying to sound as upbeat and as competent as possible. You can always come to me with your questions any time, and I promise you I will begin work immediately to get Artemis back on its feet once again. He surveyed them from his height once again, and then he said simply, Thanks, everyone. Thanks for your loyalty. Together, we can remain strong. Strong hearts and strong wills, right? And we'll get through it. He made a fist and touched it to his chest, as Miss Bart Oppoblossom had done earlier, trying to express his deepest and sincerest loyalty to Artemis. Several repeated the motion in return. Alex stepped off the chair and soon an organized line had formed. As the members of Artemis approached, looked Alex in the eye and said, I'm with you, Alex. Alex repeated the phrase back to them, I'm with you too. He then created teams of workers, the most industrial and architecturally creative he appointed to clean out the shack. They needed to make as much room as from the floors as possible, and to expand the little house by removing all the doors from the cupboards and rooms, making a sort of lean-to out the back door from the wooden paneling. Alex sent the stealthiest and most robust Artemians to sneak into the quilletary sector to steal barrels of water and to collect fruit from the favored farm. And Alex sent the most able-bodied to move the lifeless creatures out of the way of foot traffic, standing them against the wall or around the exterior of the shack like yard ornaments, 
so that the living could make prime use of the little space they had. As the day wore on, Alex also set up a guard schedule for the gate and a six-hour sleeping rotation for the shack. Finally, he sent a team of Artemians out to see if they could find the boat and physically bring it to their little plot of land and tie it to shore. It was exactly what Alex needed, putting his mind to work and his body, too. It felt like he was doing something important, and indeed he was. As he worked, his subconscious went to work, too, trying to figure out how he was going to follow through on his promise to restore Artemé. It was nearly evening when someone approached him from behind and tapped his arm. It was the silent girl. She'd been helping the team that cleared out the shack as best as she could, and she helped it look like a dollhouse sitting on the board. She held it out to Alex. He sat up and squinted, looking at it. Then he wiped his hands on his pants, took it from her, peering at every detail. It was a miniature replica of the mansion, in all its glory. Wow, cool, he said, lifting up the roof to peer inside of the hallway's staircase, and adorable miniatures of Simber and Florence at the front entrance. His heart clutched when he thought of the cheetah. He swallowed hard and said, Where did you find this? She pointed to the shack and beckoned him to come with her. Inside, she pointed to a cupboard under the kitchen counter. Huh, no kidding, Alex said softly. He could picture Mr. Today standing at this counter years ago, dreaming about his future home, making plans, creating this replica, and then slowly recreating it life-size with magic bits at a time. It felt like Mr. Today was right here with them, in spirit at least. Something Mr. Today's hand had actually created was now in Alex's hand. There was a good deal of comfort in that. He turned to the silent girl and smiled, grateful she thought to bring it out to him. She must have known instinctively that it would be important, even though she knew so little about what was going on here. She barely knew Mr. Today at all, and she'd seen very little of the mansion except for the hospital wing where she'd stayed. Thank you, he said. He crouched down and slid the mansion back into place in the cupboard. She crouched down next to him, brought her fist to her chest, and smiled. Sixty-three. The way it is with twins. Three ducks. There was something strangely fulfilling about the new high priest Aaron's ride to Artemé, knowing what a disaster was there now, and knowing he caused it. Truly, a lot had happened since the last time he'd seen his brother at this gate. He managed to batten down his feelings of pity for his brother, though he didn't feel entirely like gloating about his new position. Something Halugi had said kept gnawing at him, and he wasn't sure why. Besides, there was plenty of time for gloating later. Still, he found himself being driven here at his own request by his new faithful guards. Also accompanying him was his new appointed secretary, Eva Fathom. He still didn't entirely trust her, but he knew the ancient saying, Keep your enemies at your side to learn their every move. So this would be the perfect situation to put Eva in, face to face with the people who trusted her in the midst of the mess she'd helped create. As they drew close, Aaron pulled a pistol from his cloak and laid it on his lap, so that whenever guards or protecting Artemé could see it. He wasn't looking for trouble, not today. His restorers needed a bit of a break. "'What do you want?' the Artemian guard asked when the jalopy pulled up. "'I wish to speak with Alex Stowe. I presume someone here might know who that is.' Aaron didn't mean it as a joke. The other guards laughed bitterly. "'Apparently you don't, though,' one of them muttered, and made them all the more loyal to Alex when they caught whiff of Aaron's heightenedness. "'Who would want to follow a leader like that?' One of the guards found Alex carrying a lifeless bebop. "'Alex, your brother is here. He says he wants to talk to you.' Alex narrowed his eyes and ignored the fear that sparkled in his gut. How many are with him? Just his driver and another guard and his secretary. All right, he said. He set the bebop down and walked to the gate, greeted his own guards, and said to them, Can you please tell Aaron to approach alone? I'll speak with him in the road and tell him to leave his weapons behind. The guards stepped back to the gate, eyeing the quilletary vehicle suspiciously, ready to attack and defend their new young leader if they had to. 
Alex walked to the center of the road and clasped his hands in front of him, waiting. Aaron took his time getting out of the jalopy, smoothed the wrinkles in his cloak, and walked up to Alex. He carried a small bundle wrapped in a burlap peanut sack. Alex narrowed his eyes. What's that? Aaron flashed a patronizing smile. Greetings to you as well, dear brother. It's been a long time. He held out his hand in a lazy fashion like the high priestess steam might have done. But Alex didn't take it, bow over it, kiss it, or otherwise acknowledge it in any way. In fact, Alex's deep brown eyes held none of the warmth they'd held a few moments earlier, inside the shack with the silent girl. I don't have time for chit-chat, Aaron. As you can see, we're quite busy here. Aaron glanced into Artemé, but his eyes didn't linger. He seemed bored. That's why we're giving you a bit of a reprieve to get your things together. I wanted to invite you and your people, he said with a sneer, to live in Quill. We have several jobs available where they can earn their keep. Get out of my sight, Alex said. No one here wishes to be a slave to you. Aaron shrugged. That's fine. I thought you'd appreciate the gesture. It's a lot easier to get water delivered to your home than it is to steal it by the barrelful, he said. Alex glared at him and said nothing. But I've let your workers get away with it this time. Alex didn't waver. Is there anything else? Just this. Aaron held up the package. Though with the way you're treating me now, I'm hardly inclined to give it. Ah, but I'm here and I certainly don't want it. Alex held the glare a moment longer and took the package. When Mr. Today died, he didn't say a word, by the way. Alex worked his jaw. He wasn't prepared for this. He knew him as she was showing weakness, but he had to ask. How did you kill him? He'd been wondering and no one seemed to know. Oh, I didn't kill him, Aaron said as if delighted to Alex asked. He died of a heart attack. Five of them, to be exact, all at once. Pity. Alex's own heart nearly stopped. He squeezed his tired red-rimmed eyes shut for a moment and then opened them, again, his voice barely above a whisper. You killed Mr. Today with my own spell? Oh, that was one of yours? Aaron feigned surprise. Alex couldn't believe it. How did you get the components? He demanded. No one has access to them. Oh, 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 perhaps not, but my secretary did. Alex shot a glance at the vehicle. He shielded his eyes and peered in through the window. Looking back at him was Eva Fathom. His lips parted and he sucked in a little breath of recognition, and then everything came together. He'd given Karina Fathom twelve heart attack components. Eva Fathom, who Mr. Today trusted, was working for Aaron, not for Artemé, all this time. Alex felt a huge wave of disappointment flood over him. He was too trusting again. When would he stop thinking the best of people? Eva caught Alex's stricken glance. Her eyes widened just slightly at his disappointment. She'd been expecting it. She didn't react further. A moment later, she averted her eyes and faced the front of the vehicle. Alex felt the blood rush out of his head. His own amazing spell, the one that he'd gotten raves, had killed Mr. Today. He took a second to compose his anger. Finally, he looked at Aaron and said evenly, Where's Miss Morning? Aaron smiled again. Wouldn't you like to know? That vague sentence was more info than Alex had expected. Almost too much. Haluki? Tsk, Aaron said. Now you're getting desperate. Not attractive, Alex. Especially not from where you stand in this disaster area. Alex gripped the package and shook his head as if he were pitied his brother. You've taken everything I love. What else could you possibly want from me? Ah, Aaron said with a grin. I thought you'd never ask, but the answer is nothing. He pushed a lock of hair out of his forehead. Not today, anyway. Perhaps in a week or even ten days, when your water runs out and your people are getting shot for stealing, you'll be anxious to talk again. But for now, not one more thing. Alex folded his arms across his chest, the package still dangling from his fingers. Then go. Aren't you going to open it? Aaron pointed to the sack. Alex, disgusted, didn't give them the satisfaction of a response. He turned on his heel and walked away. 
Aaron stayed where he was, watching Alex walk back into the dreck of Artemé, the hollow smile never leaving his face. When his brother was out of sight, he got back into the vehicle and signaled the driver to go. That seemed to go well, Eva said. Silence, Aaron said. He wanted to brood alone. Sixty-four. Coming to turns. By midnight, things had settled down on Artemé. The exhausted teams had worked hard, fed by the inspiration and adrenaline, and now more than fifty of them were able to find floor space in the shack to lie down for their six-hour sleep shift. The unshackled sat in small groups on the hard cement or in the sand along the water. Most dozed, a few talked, some mourned family, friends, and Artemé. The tide was out and the moon was full, and a couple of clever teens were gathering oysters, clams, prawns, and anything else they could find to eat, while another tie of this group worked at making a fire from remnants of Silent Kid's raft and the flint Alex had found inside the shack. The team had found the boat unharmed and bumping up against the east wall of Quill, pulled it into the beach. They'd been clever enough to bring back the net and fishing gear they found inside, and now that team stood as far out as they could, casting the net over and over, catching a few fish now and then. Inside the shack, Henry Huluki babbled on and on to the silent boy about Quill and Artemé in the big battle, and he pulled his magnifying glass from his pocket and made his eyeball enormous. The silent boy smiled, seeming to enjoy all of it. Scene snored lightly on the floor next to Megan, who slept as well. It was as harmonious as it could be, under the circumstances. Alex, carrying the, an open package from Aaron in his component vest interior pocket, picked up one last stiff platypus and brought it over to the wall next to Miss Octavia. He got down on his haunches and turned to her, adjusting her glasses where she liked them, just so. "'I'm trying,' he said really to her. "'I wish you were here.' He pinched the bridge of his nose, trying to stop the sorrow and hunger headache from getting any worse. Then he went over to the creatures that couldn't be moved because of their weight, namely Jim and Florence, both near the shack. He kneeled next to Jim and petted his mosaic shell, noticing its intricacies for the first time. "'What a lot of work went into that,' he thought." Mr. Today always pointed out others' abilities, but he rarely spoke about his own amazing talent as a sculptor. Alex traced his finger along the pattern. So much detail, he whispered into the night. What I wouldn't give to hear your exceedingly slow speech right about now, Jim. The winged tortoise didn't answer. Alex moved to Florence. She was twice as height and frozen in full glorious ride. Perhaps she'd been running when it happened, making Artemis shake with her steps. She was sleek and ebony and beautiful, just as she always looked. Alex almost expected her to turn when he reached up and touched her arm. "'I'm so sorry,' he said to her. "'If there's anything you can do to fix things here, well, just let me know.' But he didn't expect an answer. He turned, considering taking a walk down by the water to process his thoughts. But there were unwanteds everywhere. There was no place as far as the eye could see to sit and think and be alone. Then, from somewhere above his head, he heard a scraping sound. He looked up above Florence to the roof. There sat the silent girl. She froze when Alex saw her, as if she were caught doing something wrong. Hey, Alex whispered. How did you get up there? She pointed to Florence. Alex's eyes widened. The thought of climbing up Florence's body freaked him out a little. It seemed so, so wrong. But she was just a statue now, and her bent knees and elbows did offer a lot of handed footholds. He considered his path and then started climbing quickly, in case she woke up, which he'd be thankful for, but she'd kill him anyway, probably. I hope you have no memory of this, he muttered. It was an easy climb, and seconds later, he hoisted himself to the roof and sat next to the girl. Clever, he said. I like this. I can breathe again. She nodded and looked down, suddenly self-conscious. Alex looked out over the sea and thought of Lonnie and Sam Heat again, wondering where they could be and if they were alive. He had to believe they were okay. He couldn't handle anything more than that right now. His throat tightened as he moved his eyes to the place where Simber had gone down, well beyond the edge of low tide. 
There was no way to get to him, Alex knew, and there never would be. Alex couldn't get the image out of his head. Summer's downward crash into the water. The scene had been in his nightmare last night, and it lurked in the back of his brain whenever he had a few extra minutes to think. We'll go together, as always, Simber had said when they left the silent island. I won't leave you. Alex covered his face with his hands, overcome. He didn't know what would happen now. All he knew was that Simber was made of sand, sand dissolved in water. Even if Alex could bring back Artemis, he didn't think he'd ever see Simber again. Mr. Today had once said the giant statue was virtually indestructible. Simber had taken many hits with bullets and other weapons, and they bounced right off of him, or at worst, left a tiny mark. But virtually, there meant there could be a way to destroy him. And if so, well, he'd never seen Simber venture near the water. Alex remembered how the great statue would hover forever above the water, but was careful never to let his wings touch. And maybe now Alex knew why. He couldn't bear to think of it. Simber, gone forever. His body dissolved like a sugar cube in tea, sandy bits of him sloshing around at the bottom of the ocean. And here sat Alex with nothing. Aaron was ready to pounce on them when they got desperate enough, and all of Artemis looked to Alex to fix everything, to restore their world. Alex had not one single clue how to do it. All of Mr. Today's books were gone. When Alex failed to fix things, what would happen to them all? Would they turn to Aaron to be slaves in exchange for food and a place to sleep? Alex had no doubt some of them would. Please help me, he choked out in a whisper. Anybody. When his shoulders began shaking, the silent girl put her hand on Alex's back to comfort him. After a while, Alex sniffed and looked up, eyelashes wet. He pulled the package from his pocket and looked at it, wondering what Aaron could have possibly found to torture Alex with. He took a deep, shuddering breath and unrolled it, reaching inside and pulled out something lightweight and soft and brightly colored. It was Mr. Today's robe. Sixty-five. In a very small house. Just past midnight at a table in a very small house in Quill sat Gondolieri Rattrap, thinking of the umptimth time, how she could have been once magical, and then wasn't for the longest time, and then was again for a few short months. And now, because the man who created the magic had died, she had lost the ability once more. And here she sat, puzzling over it, because something clearly wasn't right. She studied the components as she had done many times recently, and tried them out on a skinny stray dog she'd captured into a trap in her backyard. "'Die a thousand deaths!' she cried, flinging a metal clip at the dog. But the clip bounced off the dog's back. He came up to the woman and licked her hand. She pushed him away and picked up a clay heart. "'Heart attack!' she said, throwing it at the mutt. It shook aside and did nothing, though he whimpered a bit and recoiled from the sting. The woman scrunched her eyelids tightly together. She scrunched her fists, too, and dragged her arithmetic knuckles across her eyebrows, stopping them at her temples and pressing in hard. This wasn't right, not at all. When I was a girl, she said softly, trying hard to remember the creakiest of thoughts from a very, very long time ago, trying to remember how things were back then. When I was a girl, she opened her eyes and looked at her hands, and at the useless components. She looked at the dog who whined at her, and then she stood up. Go on, she snapped. She opened the door and shoved the dog outside. Run off now. The dog stepped to lap water from the bucket that had been recently filled on the woman's front step. Get, she said, kicking at the dog, and the dog got. And the woman looked at the water in the light of the moon. She dipped her hand into the water and lifted it up, watching it drift from her fingers to the dusty step. When I was a girl, she whispered, staring at the water as it made a stain in the dirt. She looked up into the sky at the thousands of stars that twinkled above. She hadn't noticed them in years. All she knew that there were no clouds, and there were almost never clouds in Quill. She looked at the water bucket again, and the element seemed to whisper to her. When I was a girl, it said. The old woman looked around, but there was no one anywhere to be seen at this late hour. 
She cupped her hand and dipped it into the water to take a drink of it. It was warm. Warm like the rain had been on a hot summer day in Warbler Island more than fifty years ago. She'd been putting jutting rocks on a plateau halfway up to the peak, playing with her friends who were magical too. But there was no Marcus today there. She was sure of that. She remembered the fun of it, staying on the slick stone as the rain poured in sheets around her and her friends, how they shrieked and danced in it. She took another scoop of the water in her hand and stepped into the yard, the water carelessly dripping from her fingers. She was wasting it by Clickwill's standards. In the dark of the night and the light of the moon, she held her hand to the sky and watched the shimmering droplets cling and quiver on the back of her hand, and then fall to the parched earth, and then she remembered. Finally, she remembered. She brought her hand down and then flung the water that remained into the sky with all her might. As the drops flew through the air, she envisioned the scene and the words she'd abandoned for more than fifty years. She cried out to the water, "'Make it rain!' A moment passed, and the cloudless sky above the little house rumbled and sparkled with light and life. The woman stood in the dirt yard in the center of the desert island of Quill, hand raised to the sky, eyes closed. The sky opened up above her tiny house, like that day it had on the rocks when she was happy and young and with friends. A triumphant crackle built and grew in her throat, filling the air, for now pouring down on her and her small plot of land and her bucket of water on the front step of her little house in Quill was all the rain of half a hundred years.'